you can either you can sort of surrender to your mind sometimes can't you like um like like uh you know i've had a number of bad races where i've pulled out halfway around or whatever and that's purely poor management of your own thoughts and and how you're perceiving the whole thing at the time um and sometimes maybe the ra- you don't give a crap about how you get on in the race you've just you've just decided that's it i, I don't want to do this today <laughs> i've had enough you know um and that's fine if if that that happens but you know usually if if it's that you really want to get round so like if you've entered utmb for five years on the trot and never gotten in or, or whatever race and suddenly you're in this race and you've trained all year for it then it probably means a lot to you to to finish it you know so in that instance you you're probably best served to have done some preparation in the lead up in terms of your mental um sorry mental preparation in the lead up so that when it actually happens that you feel rubbish and want to quit you'll you'll have rehearsed it already in your head what you're going to do to get out of that kind of bad place if you know what i mean and that, and that really works and like that my friend was paul tierney and this is the inspirational runners podcast hey everyone hope you're all well my name's robbie marsh and i'm your host so welcome to the podcast i've had a couple of crazy months transitioning from the corporate world to starting up my own business so i apologize for delay in releasing the episodes but things are moving on nicely and we're nearly back on track it was great to have one of ireland's best long distance mountain runners on the podcast this week wainwright's record holder medalist numerous times on the Lakeland 100 and the Wicklow Way Ultra, former Wicklow Way record holder. And to top it off, he competed in the World Ultra Trail Championships for Team Ireland in 2011, 15, 17 and 2018. He's had some amazing results, but I'm quite amazed by his top 25 finishing in 2017 and 18 in the Tour de Jaunce, the 330km mountainous race. He is part of the Missing Link coaching team which is backed up by all his experience. He's also a functional movement screen coach. He's a certified sports massage therapist and biomechanic coach and certified in personal training. Before we start, I'd just like to give a shout out to the More Mountain Adventures. If you're lucky enough to live in Ireland and check out our Facebook page where we offer a wide variety of hikes to suit all abilities. Really looking forward to the wild camping expeditions and two-day guided hikes where we provide top-of-the-range camping equipment such as North Face and Nordisk Mountain Tents. It's going to be an epic year in the hills, so if you're interested, check us out on Facebook at More Mountain Adventures. We are already over 50% booked for 2021 season, so make sure you don't miss out. Not to delay you any further, it's with great pleasure I give you Paul Tierney. Damien Hall actually put... um He's another Innovate ambassador. He put a post up on his Facebook page earlier on. He's currently writing a book. He could be writing a series of books knowing him. <laughs> God knows what he's writing. Yeah. But it, the question he wrote was, are you an ultra runner, a fell runner, a trail runner, or something else? And I sent him a message saying, you know, I'm gonna, that's going to be my opener for the podcast. So, Paul, <laughs> what category do you put yourself into? Any of those? Uh, <laughs> I don't... Uh, I, I wouldn't put a category on it, but... Um sound a bit um pretentious now but no i don't think there's any point doing that because um it's, it's almost a long long distance fell runner trail runner everything <laughs> all of the above yeah well i, I, de- I yeah i prefer i the reason i do this board i suppose is is to do races like that and and events like that on on the fells or trails so that i definitely prefer that type of thing but then uh, there's a bit of me that would like to do some road stuff as well you know and uh 
I used to go up and do when I when I worked in the the guards back home. Um, we used to do Dublin Marathon every year, and there used to be you'd sign up at the start of the year as part of the Garda Athletics Club. And we'd all be up near the front of the race. It was great because we'd all start up near the top of the race. And then as the race started, we'd all get passed by uh, faster people. But um, we were behind the elites, but we were in front of everyone else. It was um, it was a bit unfair, really. But What sort of times did you run in Dublin? I did 2.47, I think, wow. the last time I did it, 2012. Um, and everyone likes to, to make an excuse as to why they don't <laughs> do any faster. And I'm no different. I... I'd like to think I have to try and, and run a, a faster time than that. The time I did it was the same year I'd done way too much racing. And, and actually, by the end of that year, I was totally cooked. So I, d- I think I was laughing with Sarah there the other day, because if it was any client that we were coaching, <laughs> you know, you'd have a real problem with it. I think I did I did one marathon training session before the, the marathon itself and everything else was just running on trails you know totally unspecific and um i would love to have actually put some uh specific training in for it but um maybe maybe some uh, time i'll get motivated to train but 247 uh, is a pretty pretty good time like to be fair depends on who you're comparing yourself to it's um but you were just in the, it was you're in the very... guard you're part of the garda team you know it's like 247 were you doing much running before them the first year I did it was 2000 and what was it, 9, 10, 11, 12. Yeah, so 2009 was the first year I went up and did it with the guards. Um, and I think I did 301. <laughs> and uh, I remember talking to one of the lads afterwards and he, he gave me a proper bollocking about it. Like, why the hell did I not get under um, There is so many, so I, many people like struggle. Yeah. To, is it, it just shows you how, how mental it is, isn't it? Like that three oh, you're yeah. just tra- yeah. chasing that time, like absolutely, yeah. And I and I probably um I miscalculated probably. I thought I probably thought, oh I'll get I'll get under here, I'll be all right. And you forget about the point two of a mile at the end and that that's probably what caught me. A few end. wide corners um, as well. I remember when I started doing Dublin, you know, it used to be like twenty six point six or seven. You soon yeah. learned to cut the corners. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there's some wide roads actually on it, isn't there? There um you can take a good line or a shit line, so that's true actually. So you had a real, a real good base, like. I think uh, at that stage in two thousand nine, I I had gotten into do. I was playing hurling all, you know, all the way up from, like, really concentrating on hurling since I was twelve or thirteen years of age. That's what I wanted to to do. That was the sport I wanted to, to be good at. And um, I think when I was, around twenty one or two, went to Australia for a few months and 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 was interested in endurance sports at the time as well. So I, I decided well what better place to try do a triathlon and because at the time in australia they were the um probably the country who who had some really really good athletes you know and and the the actual country itself was set up to to train triathlon wasn't it because you've got nice climate beaches yeah. the whole lot it was a good place to to do one and and you know i, I didn't have a bloody clue what i was at I, I bought a i bought a steel frame bike off some guy over there a few weeks before i did the the race and um yeah, just loved loved it. It was a great buzz. Like I had, like I say, I had no idea what the hell I was at, but loved it. And uh, when I got back, it was probably I probably went at some part of October one year and came back the following April or something like that. And uh, wanted to, you know, there was there was people over in Ireland at the time, obviously uh, doing triathlon as well. There was some good established races, and so I, I kind of dabbled a bit in it for the next few years while also playing hurling. And then I. I I jacked in the hurling for a couple of years and 
and was doing the triathlon and and then sort of veered towards um just running because it was way handier than having to go mm-hmm. to the pool and and cycle there's a lot there's a big investment in triathlon like isn't it yeah oh yeah massive yeah and and just the time investment and and just by getting into running off-road on on local trails and stuff i just found it was so much more enjoyable and then you d- i discovered uh irish mountain running association you know that i would have had no clue about because when you're stuck in the ga yeah. world um that's that's all you see and i was interested in other sport in other sports but uh just never it never had entered my head you know you drive down to Kerry and, and all these lovely hills either side of you and you never think about actually running on them you know what i mean and it's crazy um, and it's, it's it's crazy isn't yeah. it like cause i live here in the mons i'm at the foot of the mons you know and i started yeah. um road running like I think it was 2010 or 11. Yeah. It's only the last three or four years like I've been in the mountains. And I, like yeah. when I think about it's it, I'm mad. like, why? Why did that never come into my head that it would be a good thing to yeah. run crazy around there? Now I can't get enough of it. Yeah. And I, I mean, well, for me, it was um, it was probably the fact that I, you know, was was friends with Robbie Williams at the time, who who's now very involved in, in the Mountain Running Association and does a load of work for the association and is like has almost I won't say single-handedly because that's unfair on, on other people but like he has done a ton of work to kind of make it a much bigger deal in in, Mon- in the Munster region of the country and there's so many races now that used to get maybe 20 or 30 people turning up to him and now they've got 200 people and, and he's been a driving force behind that and it was him who you know kind of suggested that we go do a bit of trail running and um and it's sort of led from from there really so the, between the two of us then we kind of got more involved and yeah i probably have him to thank for for opening my eyes to it you know what was it you found so inviting on the trails then when you started running the trails um i think it was uh i liked the the feeling after you've exercised like like most people who exercise you know you, you get the endorphins and you you feel good and you, you feel like you've worked hard and, and that's sort of one of the the um, attractions but with this it was you were getting more mental stimulation, I suppose, from the, the the terrain that you were running on. So no two steps were ever the same and you had to kind of focus on what you were doing and concentrate, especially on a on a you know, a technical hilly race or or even just out for a training run. It would keep you engaged much easier than, you know, running on the streets and that's probably the biggest um It is so different, like Yeah. I had I had um done a race coast to coast in the morn way marathon was on yeah the short goes around the mountains like so i just signed up <laughs> because i had this fitness yeah and it blew me away you know i lifted my head I was at mile 23 i went how the hell did that happen you know it was so yeah. different you know you were watching where yeah. your foot was going but i was just enjoying it it was just so different like um but yeah you're, as you say your your mind's very preoccupied you know you're looking where your foot's going you're looking up and you get to the top and you're looking around and going wow that's pretty awesome actually yeah you know it's a totally yeah, different experience absolutely yeah and i think probably the first proper i suppose over over in this country anyway you'd call it a fell race um and obviously you don't call it that in ireland but but the that was the, fir- the first time i did a race that you know, a proper open mountain with um, uh, sort of pick, oh, well, almost pick your own route. There was probably wasn't that much route choice, but but Galtimore uh, was the first time I went and, and did a race like that. And, um, you know, a classic kind of a, a distance as well, about roughly eight to 10 miles or there or thereabouts. And, and um, that really opened my eyes to how enjoyable it was that, you know, the downhill running where you're just, if you if you stop focusing for two seconds, you'll you either have to slow down and, and lose some time or mm. uh, you fall over, you know. And, and so 
it, it's a, I suppose it's a bit of a, a bit of an adrenaline rush, just like you'd get from, I don't know, doing downhill mountain biking yeah. or something like that. Um, and that that probably was quite attractive as well, and and probably because your fitness wasn't the limiting factor when running downhill. So you could actually, if you're any good at running downhill, you could compete with people who are much faster than you. Of course, you had to be near them <laughs> after the top, after the way up, but which is much more difficult. Uh, but yeah, I suppose it was, it's slightly more of a leveler than just a flat out mm. road race. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's some element of, of skill involved there where you can make up a little bit of time it is it's it's an out and out race yeah. as well isn't it? that's something that's different I, that's what i found about triathlon as well when i went into it you know it was different than running for your time whereas you know yeah in the triathlon you're looking at the person on your shoulder and letting on that you're not tired or whatever like or when you're in the if you're doing a hill race like we have the local hill and dales here which is great you know yeah like i'm not a fast runner but you're in your group you know and you're like right you're trying to get that per- but you are you're racing the whole time it's a yeah it's super exciting like yeah. and even though now i i'm tall i'm strong on the uphills i am a disaster coming down so sometimes <laughs> i have to get to the summit and stop and wait so i find my place let, <laughs> let about 10 or 15 of them go by right now i'm okay to go now it's such a technique coming down though isn't it so it's so it's almost like two different races isn't it with an up and downhill race where you do sometimes get that like where someone is very very fit and very very good at going uphill and then uh, going downhill isn't their their forte, and you know some people who aren't as quick or as as fit as them going uphill will potentially catch them and and, and beat them in a race like that if if the hill is long enough, you know. And I've seen that happen at races, and it's quite if it, if it's you doing the catching up and and passing the faster guy, then it's it's a nice feeling, but it doesn't it doesn't happen that often. But um, yeah, it just it's a bit more of a leveler, like you like we were saying. Um, Where's your forte? Is it going up or going down? Well, I'm away 14 stone, so it's not going up. <laughs> uh, I, I come down using, uh, making the most of gravity, I think. So, yeah, I'll probably be better at going down. Can you remember your first fell race? Oh, sorry. You'd already talked about your first fell race, like, but. Well, yeah, well, that was, yeah, that would be my first um, proper race in Galtimore. Uh, first prop, I suppose you know, open mountain kind of a, a race. But um, I did do, before that, uh, one of the uh, Ballyhoura races. So it was about 10K, and a lot of it was on fire road, but then there was a little open mountain section as well. And and, and actually, that was probably the first, yeah, the first race of its of that kind that I, I did. And, and that probably uh, had me wanting to go back and, and do more, you know. Um, and that was in the days of, like, Tom Blackburn was organising everything, and he would... Um, He'd show up with the few bits of markers in the back of his car. He'd go and mark the course. He'd come back. He'd stand up, you know, on a some Stone raised ground or, or whatever, and just <laughs> yeah, yeah, and just um, say, you know, he'd give it. He'd give a race description basically. So you'd be kind of thinking, Jesus Christ, I have to remember this whole thing, or I'll get lost. Uh, and it was very, very, you know, laid back, casual, and he'd just say, right, lads, off you go, and thirty people would would um head off up the hill and and like it's obviously come on a bit since then but tom was you know when no one else wanted to <laughs> to do it tom was um the one that was was driving the whole thing and he's had a lot of help in in the in more recent years from people like robbie but it was tom who mm. who was really really um uh, keeping it going so the community is great though isn't it you know when you talk about that bunch of 30 people and the buzz of turning up on a summer's yeah. evening yeah like the I suppose uh, it's the same over here, you know, that you've got the same, you're meeting the same 
bunch of people at, at various different races. So every, in, in the end, everyone knows everyone else or vaguely knows mm. everyone else or knows someone who knows that person, you know, and um, it's quite a nice thing, I suppose, to, yeah, to have. Um, and I think it it's sorely missed this year, obviously, or, or last year, you know, people were pulling their hair out just wanting to go and do some sort of a race with, with other people, you know, instead of virtual yeah. races or 2020's yeah. over like you know we don't <laughs> we don't want to pull that into yeah. 2021 you sort of put yeah, up with yeah. it for a year so it's only now you're really starting to well i am anyway talking to personal experience really starting to appreciate what we had you know and it's like oh, yeah. oh will it ever come back <laughs> you know it's been the way that long yeah. you know will will that buzz even the dublin marathon starting line and the buzz of going down with all your yeah. mates and the buzz afterwards and meeting people or going to the Hill and Dales race on a Thursday night after work and that whole exciting buzz. Yeah. Like, you don't realize how much, or maybe we didn't appreciate what we had. You know, we knew it was good, yeah. but, you know, it was, it's everything really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a bit yeah, extreme. Like, it's everything. It's my whole world. <laughs> you know, but, um, well, it is a lifestyle though, isn't um, it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, it's funny though, how quickly you do adapt to the new normal and and um you know i think whatever that looks like this year i think we will all adapt and you'll just it'll become the norm and you'll get used to it and hopefully it'll go back to the way it was but it's probably not going to go back to that uh, for another while yet so we're probably best served just getting on with it and making the best of it and hopefully that you know come april may maybe when the weathers or the nights are, are getting uh Sorry, the days are getting longer and, you know, there seems to be some sort of a, a seasonality to the whole thing. Like yeah. the cases went down in, in the summer. So hopefully, hopefully it'll be um, less of an issue in the summer when more people have been vaccinated as well. So I'm pretty confident that there'll yeah. be some sort of racing, you know. And in fairness to IMRA, at least in Ireland, they managed to, to, to get some good races on over the summer last year. So I can't see why that can't happen again and, and, mm. and hopefully over here as well. Um, no, I definitely see it really happening as well because the numbers weren't right down. What we did here, what I did yeah. about a month ago or a couple, a few weeks ago, I got um, this little bell that we got from a French chateau and Carrick <laughs> Little at the bottom of Binion, uh, Sleeve Binion. We put the bell up yeah. to give people a challenge. So you ring the bell, yeah. you go and do the seven sevens and you have to ring the bell when you come back and your name goes on a leaderboard. So that's proven to be real popular at the minute. Like um, the more yeah. wall starts from the same place as well. Like, um, But it's to give people something and it's still a challenge. It's yeah. still a leaderboard, even though you're doing it on your own. And we picked Carrick Little because you can go any direction rather than the traditional route of the seven sevens. Like, um, but you can see people just when you say the new norm. That's what came into mind. You know, it's those type of yeah. things at the minute are the new norm. Um, yeah. But we'll always find a way. Like. Oh yeah, like we're very adaptable, aren't we? Like you just you suddenly um, you almost forget what it used to be like, and you. You get used to it and make the best of it, and um, it and things obviously will get better. But as long as you can get out the door and 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 you can actually run, I mean, if I think if um, if we were told we could no longer do that, there might be absolute yeah. uh, anarchy. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, but when did your racing move different. to the longer distance? Then, like you sort of, like, I know you have done really well in the Wicklow Way. Was it the fifty k yeah, um, sort of distance or the short distance? Uh, the first year. I did that the first year, the 50k distance. So it's Morris Mullins now, but it used to be called the Wicklow Way 50k, I guess, or the Wicklow Way Ultra, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, I did that first in 2010 and actually did it every year then for, I think, nine times in a row. But the, the 
it was the second year where I did my best time, and since then I've not quite managed to uh, to do it again. So, um, what what drew you to the longer distance, though? What drew you to fifty k? Well, I, I think um, if I'm honest, like p- part of it probably was that um, when I first got into the sport or got into triathlon, it was you know I. I was kind of inspired by, at the time, Lance Armstrong was doing really well, say, at Tour de France and, you know, wasn't aware of <laughs> the 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 means he was using to, to get there. But, you know, half the rest of them probably were as well. But um, Cause he was, I, I he was, was inspired great. by that kind of a... He was great for the sport, well, was like, just, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. Like, he brought it to the masses. Well, he brought it to, obviously, diehard cyclists were already, you know, had, a, had um, were interested in it. But yeah, he brought it to people who, you know, didn't know anything it was about like the, cycling. And, the, the, triath- the elite triathletes were getting like three or four times more followers when Lance appeared on the scene, you know, just because he brought yeah, yeah. That, that all with him. Like, and then it obviously yeah. came, it was a shame, like, because at the time I was doing a lot of triathlon as well, like, and it was great to see it getting so much promotion and prestige yeah. because like the athletes like you need to be fit to do that do you know what i mean and um yeah. it just all sort of crumbled <laughs> just in one yeah. big swoop um no, no, a- it, it was probably um it was that type of of long endurance thing though you know like i mean the tour de france is four or five hours six hours a day for three weeks and and that was what kind of i was kind of looking at that thinking jesus how do they manage this you know what i mean and um, and so when I did start doing triathlon, then immediately in your head, you're thinking, there's this thing called Ironman and it sounds great and I'd love to be able to see if I could do one. And and so I was sort of gravitated towards that, you know, way before I should have. Obviously, it would have been a good idea to to start sm- shorter and build a base and, and, you know, take a few years at it. And um, But I did the same with the running thing. It just... It's not that I didn't enjoy the shorter fell races, but you know you you start to to explore things and you hear that there's a hundred mile trail race in in the lakes, say for example over here, and and I just immediately just thought, Christ, I'd love to see if I could uh, get round that, and and then it's less about the sort of a challenge there, like finishing it is is a challenge in itself rather than say focusing on a specific time because you know I'm uh, honest enough to say that if I turned up to a a 5k or a 10k road race in Cork at the time <laughs> I wasn't going to be uh winning it you know what I mean and and so this was another way to kind of no matter where you finished it was like you didn't even know if you could finish and that was sort of the the, the goal or the challenge of it and do you, um, do you like that in a challenge you know challenge is that big you Mm, there's an element of doubt whether or not you're going to get through it yeah that that I suppose that's that's sort of part of the driving force for the whole ultra thing anyway you know it's that mm. um obviously there's there's people setting out to win these races but the vast majority of people are they've got their own goal in mind whether it's finishing or doing a, a certain time or whatever and and i think um those kind of events lend themselves to that way of of thinking you know so because uh, you are, you are competitive though, aren't you? Like at that distance, you know, you're you, you're more in your zone in that type of distance, you know. And there's so much more to it than obviously the running, the whole like problem solving and pushing yourself and holding yeah. yourself to that limit, getting your fuel right, getting your kit right, making the right decisions on course. There's so much yeah. more that goes on, isn't it? It's so yeah. So it's I suppose it's um. I mean, ultimately, at, at the top of the sport, you still have to be. You probably have to be the best mm-hmm. athlete or, or there thereabouts, depending on the event itself. But um, there is definitely a lot of other 
factors that are going to um determine your success as well like if um it's 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 very possible that like a couple of years back in utmb where um if you tried to predict the top five in that race you would have got it completely wrong you know the likes of killian journey louis hernando i can't even think now but how how many people dropped out of that race that would have been in your top 20 and um and that was down to other factors outside of uh they just weren't quick enough you know what i mean like it was whether it was nutrition or getting stung by a bee or um, <laughs> whatever it was. Um, We're still trying so, yeah, to work out. Those factors. Still trying to work out who put that bee out. <laughs> it was, apparently, it got him at the starting line someplace. Damien Hall. I heard it was Damien <laughs> yeah, Hall. I heard it was Damien. Uh, I was going to say that, but apparently not. <laughs> so you were very competitive in the like the Wicklow Way 50k. Like you, you were podium the whole way through there, did you? I think I was more competitive when there was less competition <laughs> uh, in the last. Years there now, guys like Johnny Steed and, and Owen Lennon and um, Bar- Barry Hartnett, and I you know, can't, can't think of everyone knows who's, who's done it in the last few years, but they've driven on the times a bit. And um, I think my best time there was 4.11, and you know, it's sub, it's sub four hours now. And, and, and I thought I'd, I thought back when I did that time that I would get under four and I, I never managed it after that and you know I can think of loads of reasons why that might be but ultimately I didn't do it <laughs> and uh people like Johnny Steed and, and I think Owen Lennon's gone under that as well and um and a few more guys as well uh so yeah I was more competitive when there was less competition <laughs> um but I, I you were sorry go ahead I was just gonna say it's, it's it's a race that I've like I say I did it nine times in a row so I must have enjoyed it you know i did i did like it um it, and it was actually at the time when i started doing it there was very few other races like that to do in in ireland like there was the morn way marathon or the morn way ultra that was in existence there was i don't actually think there was any other 50k trail race of its kind you know and since then obviously there's there's loads but uh because it was the first one i i did of that distance it's prob- probably kind of stuck in me head and I, and I liked Wicklow anyway I liked running around mm. Wicklow so you know there's always a good buzz at that race generally I feel I'm, I'm trying to fail my way to success in some way or form I get it wrong <laughs> in every race like um, but you yeah, seem to yeah, yeah. you seem to have good success in those long distance races right from the beginning like that marathon pace and always crossing over pretty well um because you, you well, won uh, like, you won the 100 the lakes 100 didn't you uh yeah I in 2015 I managed to to win it, but I I'm you just said there fell away um, to success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a bit like that because I've I've done all, you know okay at it some years, and then I've I've done really badly other years. I did I won it in 2015, and then DNF'd in 2016, and uh, DNF'd in 2014 as well. So either side of of winning it, I um, I did really poor races. So I've been less successful than successful at it. But um, again, it was. It was the type of race. I, I I tend to be like that where if I do a race and have a good experience, I want to go back and, and do it again. And maybe it's not always a, a a brilliant idea, but I don't know. I kind of, I suppose you want to recreate a, a positive uh, experience, you know, and yeah. it doesn't always work out. No, but you do have like, like when it goes wrong, you know, there's always learning yeah. that comes out of that, isn't there? And it, you always oh, want yeah. like, you, you to carry that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I, I'm guilty of not learning from, you know, mistakes at times. Like, uh, the, I suppose the food nutrition thing in, in a hundred mile race is a massive thing. And I probably still haven't got that right. And actually, I know you, you spoke to Robbie. I was just about to say, I've got, um, I've got a name for you, <laughs> Robbie Britton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, he he um, is probably quite good at that side of things and very interested in that side of things. And uh, the tight like doing a twenty four hour race on the track, which is one of his forties, I suppose, really requires you to get that side of things right. And 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 any, any distance, a very long distance where you're going to be on your feet for a long period of time, you want to be good at that side of things. And I've never, I probably hadn't given it enough credit really um, mm. in the past. And I've I, I've been better in recent years, but you know, I, so, sometimes you you set off a bit too fast and you get the food thing wrong and the hydration thing wrong, and then you blame this phantom bloody stomach pain that. That you never usually get, but suddenly you're you're feeling nauseous and at just at the wrong time when you're doing this really important race, and it was easy to kind of blame bad luck instead of actually, you know, putting your hand up and saying, yeah, I I, I messed that up with poor mm. planning in terms of nutrition and and everything else. So I think um, Robbie's quite good at that side of things, and and I'll be looking for his advice probably yeah. this well, year. Well, I'm putting his podcast out tomorrow and it literally is it's like a nutrition podcast. He just kept him saying to me, every question I asked, he's like, nutrition. So when did you start running <laughs> nutrition? Because <laughs> what was your favorite race? Nutrition. <laughs> you know, he really, yeah, yeah. he was really hammering at home and it was the first time I'd have to yeah. say out of 135 episodes um, that I really was getting that. You know, it wasn't about the training in your legs and the ascending and the descending. You know, it was really hitting hard about the nutrition and how important that was. We know it. Yeah. And we always have this caveat, you know, you know, we're also individual and different, you know, it's so hard to dial yeah. in. And, th and the hard thing is, you know, your training runs just do not go that long. So it's hard yeah. to suss it out, isn't it? Your, your, your long races are yeah. two, maybe three times longer than what your days are like. So it's very, very difficult. Yeah. But Robbie would tell me to shut up right now. He says, you need to understand it. You need to know the science, <laughs> you know, and, and start yeah, well, coming yeah. out with all these equations. And I'm like, yeah, that's really good, Robbie. After this podcast, I'm going to go and find out what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, it, like, I think that's that's definitely a, a specific area that he's really, really mm. done a lot of reading into and, and talking to other people, you know, expert people. And um, I think I'm probably, I'm not interested enough to invest as much time as he has done in, in that. And I, I probably should be. But but then I, I have other interests relating to the sport that I kind of invest mm. my timing and i think if you can if you can align yourself to people who have like robbie i can pick his brain or pick someone like rebecca dent's brain who has helped yeah. me with nutrition in the past and, and don't try and know everything about everything because ultimately you're never going to get there so as long as you've got a, a working understanding i guess of of some of these things and then go whatever direction you want in terms of your own specific interest then as well because there's so much to try and yeah, figure yeah, out it, it, it destroys that's what destroys my races you know i i cross finish lines and your legs aren't even tired but your stomach is gone <laughs> you know and you are so, as yeah. you say nauseated and you're you're walking a lot of it because of that and you just can't get it back again and yeah. but you're fine you know you're standing talking to people as if you haven't even you're not even in a race <laughs> you just can't yeah, get going because yeah, yeah. you can't get the fuel in at all yeah. um so there are there are ways around it yeah well one thing i have found though is when i sort of nail it um i'm not very good at i sort you know when you have that you think you've got it sussed i sort of hammer that then i'm doing that all the time yeah. and then your body gets sick of it then you're back to the drawing board again <laughs> you're like no yeah i well i was just going to say that um in a very very long event i guess part of working out what works for you will be actually messing it up and failing in a particular event because like you say it's very difficult to recreate the conditions of 15 hours into a, 
a long race um, without actually being there. You know what I mean? So some of it, I guess, is learning on the on the job, if you like, like doing a race, seeing what worked well or what didn't. And, and some of it's going to be luck, I guess, stumbling across what, what has worked well. Or even you might correlate it with something you, you did in terms of your nutrition. And it might have been something else that worked well in that particular race like there's so many variables it's very difficult to to pinpoint sometimes but um that's where like experience comes into it you know you're not going to get everything right the first time you do a race like that you're not going to get it right the second time or third time probably and if you do you've probably got lucky um so experience is really really useful i guess and, yeah, and important. you're trying to you're trying to get in tune with yourself aren't you like you're really trying to understand yeah. what's going on and and und- like half the time your mind knows and it, it you know let's eat those salty crackers you know you're getting drawn yeah. towards that or, or things like that and it's it's really in the longer distance stuff you really get stripped down and you know it's if you can get in tune with yourself then i think that's one of the key yeah. things absolutely yeah, yeah yeah so the rounds came after that or well came in between that there is no after <laughs> but the, the <laughs> likes of the wicklow rounds you'd broken the record at that time i did the wicklow way in 2000 and uh, 11 i haven't done the wicklow round and the wicklow way was the record at the time when i did it was uh ian keith had it and he um i don't know what he'd done like 14 or 6 or something like that i think it was um he's since come back and, and done it much quicker and uh it probably at the time hadn't been truly tested really and so ian came along i think i did 13 30 something uh and then he came along and did 1250 something i think after that and then i think took another little bit of time off it and then robbie they made it a race then and robbie britain came along two years ago i think or um maybe yeah 2019 and i think robbie set a new best time on it i can't remember what time he did 12 something i think so, so did, yeah did I, you enjoy I, that kind of thing then because it's slightly different again isn't it it's definitely in the 50k it's more of an adventure and you know it's yeah when i did that in 2011 the longest i'd run before I went and did that was 40 miles. So I, I had done a recce of the route from Marley Park down to uh, Glen Malore, which is bang on halfway. And um, and that was the longest I'd ever run. And I thought, Christ, it's, it's a nice route. I, I really like it. And actually it gets a bit less interesting after Glen Malore. You're, you're getting into flatter ground um, as you head towards Carlow. And when I tried to do a good time on it, then that was the first time I'd done that second half of it. And um, it's definitely less inspiring the further down you go. But uh it was a nice it is because it wasn't there isn't very much else like that in ireland you know what i mean like it that was the most established i suppose way mark trail in ireland and it was quite a a good one to do but then you know since then like the Kerry way have their own race now and and it's it's maybe less well kind of well worn if you like the Kerry way there's other things now you can do you know what i mean whereas at the time there wasn't really um, a whole pile else to do like Ian Keith had done a good time on it and there wasn't really anyone doing that or there wasn't many people doing that type of thing at the time like it, it's it's easy to forget how much the the whole yeah. thing has grown particularly in Ireland in that space of time like there was yeah just tiny numbers in comparison say turning up to do the Wicklow Way Ultra or the Morris Mullins as it's now called I, like I, now it, it, I missed registration you know? I missed registration last year you know, we want to sign yeah. up for 50k. I was like, it never sells out, so it's fine. It's 50k. Yeah, you can just roll up. And I yeah. went to register. It's like, 
it was it was sold out. And I was like, what? Yeah. Richard Noonan sold it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's sign 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 of the times, like how how popular the the whole thing has got. Um But it's this whole growth like, isn't there? Like, you know, people have done like it's like Martins, you know, you've done your half Martins yeah. and you've done your Martins and everybody's done their Martins now. It's what's the next? And yeah. then like Joe down next door, he's just done an ultra, he's done a what? Like and then Oh, maybe I could do that, yeah. and then, then his friends do it, and then yeah. all of a sudden everybody's doing ultras, you know. It's like the Hill yeah, and Dales. They, they used to be like twenty, thirty people turn up to the Hill and Dales. Now there's over two hundred people. You know, when yeah. we were allowed to do it, there was over two hundred people showing up. People are just looking yeah. for the next big challenge, and the world of ultra running is just growing exponentially, you know, and it's drawing people in. The likes of the backyard events where you can just be like, if you'd said that like twenty years ago, how how about running four point two miles? loop over and over and over again so you can't run anymore people would yeah. look at you like a lot of crazy like yeah. like what are you yeah, but now yeah, it's yeah. you know there's 150 people turning up all around the world it's just gone mad yeah it's mentally yeah. um it's like i say a sign of the sign of the times there's um there's something for everyone now whereas before it was this is what's on offer and if you don't want to do it don't do it whereas yeah you can do any type of bloody race no there's just all sorts or, or any type of rounds especially with the the lockdown at the minute there's a lot of people looking at the rounds and we've had some great times on our local dennis ranking round here in the cassie challenge yeah um i know gavin came up who is the wicklow round is yeah, he the yeah. wicklow round record holder he was he is at the moment yeah yeah, yeah. i say it sorry I, he is i don't know why i said he is at the moment he yeah he is sorry i can't see anyone doing quicker than him in the in the near future anyway. ah, he's phenomenal like we've had him on the podcast as well like and um yeah. <laughs> so the rounds they really do not get much bigger than the wayne rights like the first time i'd even heard of it was your strava i hadn't heard of it before there before that to be honest and i was like what the heck you know somebody who loves strava and then all of a sudden you've seen this like picture of a brain <laughs> is the best yeah. way to describe it and it it, it beggars belief really what sort of drew you to the ultimate round, I suppose? Um, I think, uh, well, like when, when Steve did it in 2014, um, I was aware of him doing it at the time, but I was still living in Ireland at the time. And um, so I knew who Steve was, obviously. He, he, he'd had some really good results in the previous years. He had done, he'd won the Dragon's Back and um, he had won Lakeland 100 at one point. And, and, you know, if you were into this type of thing, then you knew who mm. Steve Brockenshaw was. Uh, and I suppose, so when he was doing that, I knew that he was trying to break Joss Naylor's record. And of course I knew who Joss Naylor was. And um, I had read that book about, there's a really nice book about Joss Naylor. Um, some lovely pictures of the lakes and, and of him doing various different things over down through the years. It's a really nice kind of coffee table, big hardback book. And I'm pretty sure there's a, a piece about his Wainwrights uh, round in that. And then there's a little pamphlet that he wrote as well about his attempt. So, you know, like it was the type of thing that was in my, I was conscious of it. I, I knew it existed. And uh, I think because it goes back to that thing of I, I wasn't really sure I had any hope of actually doing it, but mm. um, it, that's sort of one of the, the, the factors that kind of attracts you. To it as well and um i live over in the lake district at the moment so obviously it's easy to go and wreck it and train on it and use that word um, lightly easy <laughs> well yeah well yeah it's <laughs> no i know what you meant it's, it's available 
yeah, accessible. Yeah, sorry. absolutely. Yeah, and and I probably wouldn't have had any interest in trying it if I hadn't done some kind of longer races in the previous two years. Like the the Tour de Gantz in Italy was uh, kind of a bridge in the gap between something like a hundred mile race versus something like the Wainwrights. You know, it was sort of an in between kind of a distance, and I I really enjoyed both times I did that race in Italy and it kind of made me think that even though I'd done some silly things in that race, like I'd messed up the first day of that race on both years. This is the thing I was saying about not learning my lesson. You know, I had gone a little bit too quick, maybe in the early stages of those races and then suffered with my uh, stomach and stuff like that for the first 24 hours then. But then I kind of, it had come together and I'd sort of done a bit better over the rest of the race. So finished kind of strong relative to, to other people around me and that that kind of gave me a feeling of maybe i could try something like the the way right to, you know, to, and, to chance, what's that 200 and 205 miles like but it is it's the climbing yeah. as well isn't it it's still twenty nine thousand meters isn't it around that it, about some, something along those lines yeah so it's basically just up and down <laughs> yeah. uh, alpine passes for the the, the whole duration yeah. of the race and and um you know if the weather's good at doing that race, you just have an amazing three or four days. Um, if it's not so good, then obviously it's it's harder. It becomes a harder event. But um, I didn't feel like there was... I, I felt like finishing the Tour de Jans, I felt like I could have kept going if I had, had to. You know what I mean? And yeah. and um, my legs hadn't, I hadn't sustained any injury that was going to necessitate me stopping. So I just thought, well... I definitely could try the Wainwrights and we'll see how far I get and we'll see what I can do. And and I suppose uh, it it was, yeah, just that kind of uncertainty about being able to, whether I'd be able to, to do it or not. And, you know, I wanted to challenge myself as well and try and get as close to Steve's time as possible. And I could see where, you see, everyone benefits from the person who goes before him in these things. And mm-hmm. like... I obviously benefited hugely from having Steve's, uh, you know, it was very well documented. There was a film made about it. He he wrote about it. He was no, yeah, absolutely. Like he, he had given me some of his own time to, to, you know, give me a bit of advice about it. And he was very good with his time in that regard. And, you know, I went and spoke to the, uh, to people who had helped him, you know, so I had, um, I had plenty of, uh, my eyes were, were open to the whole thing going into it and um, that really, really helped. So, like, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't a massive advantage over him, you know. And, and like, he when he did it, he came up with the route himself. He, he tried to optimise or improve on what Joss Naylor did in terms of the route. And he, until you string all that together, you can't be certain that it's it's a good idea or it's a good way yeah. to do it. But when he had done it, then at least it's, you know, proves to me, right, it is a feasible way of doing it. So now I'm more confident about it, about even trying it myself. You know what I mean? So there was all these things in my favour, to be honest. And um, and then in the end, I still only, I wasn't very, I, I, sorry, I didn't take very much time off it. So like, it, it's, part of me thinks, well, he, his name should be an asterisk beside it still, that it's his, you know, I don't know. It just, yeah, I, I was at a at a considerable advantage over Steve, and um, and I, I'd love to go. I'd love to maybe try it again in the future. Um, but because it takes a lot out of you, obviously, you kind of 
you don't want to use up too many of those um, yeah. trips to the well, if you like. Uh, you need to kind of use them sparingly. So Because Steve was pretty open as well. So with Steve Birkenshaw we're talking about, um, he was obviously the author of the book, There's No Map in Hell. It's a great book. Um, There's a great video on, them, on um, the Dragon's Back as well. A good documentary on YouTube with that. And Steve is like, he's one of the best orienteers, touring guys in the country. Absolutely phenomenal very unassuming on how fast that guy moves across the fells like unbelievable and if anybody has read any of the fell running books like they will know steve birkenshaw is but the wainwrights for those that don't know like correct me if i'm wrong like but it's 512 around that kilometers um i'm sure it'd be an extra 100 kilometers if i'd done it like but <laughs> um 214 fells and 3000 sorry 36,000 meters i put down here or in runner road running terms <coughs> Equivalent to 12 marathons, 214 mountains, and four times the height of Everest. <laughs> you know, just to put it in perspective, you know, and, um, you know, a huge, huge challenge. But obviously, doing the round itself has to be extremely exhausting. But as you've said there, you know, the whole homework of, you know, assessing the course, doing the recce, and the investment that that takes. Like, Steve was pretty open about it as well. You know, afterwards, he got knocked over pretty badly with chronic fatigue, you know, and he was on top of his game, you know, and the whole mental aspect that he had to obviously invest in that as well and mapping it out and wrecking that. Like, burnout's a very real thing when you're doing these long events, and you have to be careful of that, especially if you've got a career in mountains yeah. and, and, you know, your bread and butter is, is coming from the mountains as well. Like, so you don't want to burn yourself out that you actually can't follow through on your career. But how was that initial period leading up to that then? Because it has to, like, okay, you give me a Strava, I'm going to go out. It, it takes a lot more than that, like, you know, just following lines and understanding, like... Yeah, um, like, from, from say, January of of 2019, that would have been my sole focus, I suppose, in terms of my own running. So I was uh, wrecking the route and trying to put together a, a plan of who was going to help on what, uh, section and who was going to you know help with the logistics and and everything else so um there was a lot of work went into that side of things as well and um you know maybe um look looking back now it was probably overkill in some ways like i probably could have uh well i, th I think i had two to three people earmarked for each l section which i think is a good idea because uh if someone gets injured or whatever you've got you know, you've still got two people to to kind of help and carry kit and everything else. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But then, um, as the week went on, then more and more people got involved and and interested in it and came out. and And at times there was a gang of us, you know, moving between hills. And um, when you're when you're that tired, I, I think that can be almost embarrassed because you you're you're so wrecked. You're almost embarrassed by how shit you look and, and <laughs> are moving and and um you almost, you almost don't want anyone to see you you know and, and uh it probably got to it probably got like that at some points during it but yeah there, there was a ton of preparation went into it beforehand and some you know quite a few people who put a lot of their own spare time and free time into it that don't get any of the recognition then afterwards and um you know that's a bit shit for them isn't it but um they they were willing to do that for me and, and it was fairly humbling uh for that to be the case and 
um so how when, when you're wrecking it how how are you like how are you judging how to take that like you know because it is all it's a lot of it's just all fails like isn't it yeah um like if you were people who go and walk they try and walk all 214 way or or run them whichever you know over the course of a number of months or years because it's a it's a thing to do you know yeah. uh, tick off these various fells i think you tend to link them up in a in a nice way so like various different horseshoes or point-to-point routes that take you over maybe the most scenic way of doing it or the 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 best trod to the top of the hill um but in with this route obviously steve was trying to keep the distance as as short as he could and and make them um join things together in the most logical way knowing as well that he needed to have rest stops along the way too so you couldn't just you know land yourself in the middle of nowhere 10 hours into a leg and still have another five hours to go you know you needed to kind of think about where those rest stops were going to come so that then meant that he had to take certain lines off different fells that no one would normally do but or or at least most people wouldn't normally do because they just weren't very much fun you know so very very steep descents with he wasn't he wasn't taking the most obvious routes yeah like which which is fine i i enjoy that type of running because it's you know very direct and um you get where you're going quicker but the the problem with it is that after five days and your knees are swollen and your ankles are screwed and your achilles is swollen and um everything hurts then going down something like that is absolutely you know horrible and and so you're trying to um balance getting the optimal route with or sorry the optimal distance with um runnable terrain or at least movable terrain so like by the end of steve's round of you know looking back at the film on the i think the second last day and the last day he's having a bum slide down some of the hills because his knees are just totally shot you know um and that's what that terrain does to you like there was certainly the last couple of hills on the last day i remember going down backwards on dale head i think it's quite a steep descent off the side of dale head but also very um just crap ground you know the tussocky with rocks sticking up at awkward angles and stuff and my knee at this stage was just so sore that uh you were trying to think of any way to just get down with the least possible amount of pain so yeah it's the the route it's not just the distance i think that kind of takes it out of you it's um it's the terrain that you're having to traverse mm. uh just shot, completely destroys your legs like i know it's a longer distance but my legs were absolutely wrecked in comparison to to after tour de Jance, which is you know a ton of climbing and up and down as well you know so, you know when people a lot of people that listen to the podcast would do the seven sisters in Donegal, you know, yeah. it's 50k and it's 13 <laughs> summits, and they're falling yeah, off yeah. the mountain, going, That was horrendous! Like, that was the worst yeah, day yeah. of my life. Delighted that they crossed the finish line, like, you know, and yeah. you're like, And that's you know, when I like that was me, by the way, <laughs> when I finished the seven, <laughs> but then when you see the Strava and you think, like, How is that physically possible? Like, you must be on the verge. Well, putting aside the physical aspect of it, the mental aspect of it must be even more fatiguing because it's day, uh, yeah. it's nonstop. Like it's day yeah. after day. Like you must have had days where, yeah. as you said, you give a good description of how you were feeling there. <laughs> um, <laughs> then you're having to get up and go again. You know, it must it must be yeah. times where you could hardly even move your legs when you were getting up. Yeah, and like that's 
I think if your legs felt like that all the time, you'd have jacked it in much earlier. But the 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 thing was, you'd stop for a couple of hours. So I was trying to stop kind of from two a.m. to four a.m. or there 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 thereabouts because that's when it was dark, obviously, and I was trying to make the most of the daylight. So you'd stop to for this two hour period or whatever, have a sleep, and as soon as you woke up, it was like rigor mortis had set in. You just your legs did not want to move at all. But then you'd get you'd get up real slowly, like an old you know like an hundred year old man with two fucking dodgy knees and you'd be in absolute agony and then you'd slowly start to move and things would loosen out a little bit and the pain would subside a bit and 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 then you kind of you loosened up a little bit and and you were able to you know kind of get moving pretty okay and that that's the thing i think your body just uh warms up a little bit and, and gets back in the groove and and you can keep going because if if it was the other way where um you just stayed that sore and stiff well, you just you just wouldn't be able to um, you know get going at all. So, uh, yeah, it's quite it's, it's quite amazing, as though, as... isn't it? It's quite amazing how your body goes to that place and then about five <laughs> hours later, you know, it's lifted a bit. Like it's yeah. it's a it's a high in the low. It's not like a high. <laughs> it's a high in yeah, the low. Yeah, yeah. You know, you go you go low and like when you feel when we say we feel better we're actually feeling better in the low it's not that you get back up from there again like um (laughs) but it's quite amazing when you're going in and out of those periods and then you're almost trying to take advantage of it a little bit because you know you're going well now and you know you're feeling well and you're able to eat yeah and i think um like we're probably all guilty sometimes of of separating the psychological from the physiological from the you know social when we're when we're talking about training and and how we're uh how we're performing and you can't really separate them so like if if i was in a positive frame of mind things didn't feel as sore and if i was in a i don't know if the weather was very bad and i hadn't eaten um very much and i was thinking about how much further i had to go then i felt shit obviously uh, well whereas you know the opposite was the case when say the people from or my mm. club mates from Ambleside came out onto the side of a hill, you know, unbeknownst, I, I didn't know they were going to do it and um, just kind of surprised me. And so, you know, you feel on top of the world then, like there's, uh, you feel like you could run forever, you know what I mean? And that's that's not a physical thing, is it? That's obviously the way you're framing the thing in your head and suddenly your perception of effort changes completely it's like you're you're gliding along and and then two hours later you're screwed again and and you can you know barely move so that's the way it would go and and that's all in intrinsically linked to how you're thinking about it so it's sort of it's a cliche thing i suppose that it's in in the ultra world to say it's 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 all in the head or it's 80 percent in the head but um there's a, a huge amount of truth in that that if it's just maintaining forward progression at some sort of a pace, then your head needs to be right rather than your body because your body will will sustain it for a huge amount of time. My, my first few couple of ultras, um, you know, the last 5K was the fastest I'd ran where I was walking yeah. miles in the middle, feeling sorry yeah, for myself yeah. and think I'm not going to make it to the end. Yeah. And then you've only 5K left. And you're like, woohoo, <laughs> and away yeah, you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Was that all in my head the whole time? Yeah, like it's it's... You know, it is and it isn't in your head. Like it's physical. You you obviously have pain in your legs, and there's damage been done to your legs. But when that's your focus, when that's what you're focusing on, that's what you're going to feel, isn't it? It's like when uh, you've got an injured ankle and you fall and hit your knee off something. You can't feel the ankle anymore. You know, it's like your brain can only process so much, I suppose. And and obviously, when you're five k from the finish of the biggest race you've done 
of the year and, and your most, you know, the, the race you've been building up to all year and your your 5k from the finish and you're you know then you're gonna finish suddenly yeah you can it's it's a different you know you've you your perception of the effort to keep going is is completely different than 50k back the track when again you're hungry you probably you maybe haven't eaten enough um there's a massive hill you know is coming up uh the weather's changing all these things are affecting how you're perceiving you, you can thing. see the head torches um, like and you're like are you shitting me? <laughs> when you see the head torches in the middle of the <laughs> Absolutely, night. Absolutely, yeah. And all of a sudden yeah, you can just yeah, feel you all think... these pains appearing. Yeah, yeah. So that's, um, like, that. that's a really interesting part of the whole thing, I suppose, is trying to almost trick yourself into thinking a bit more positively about stuff. And, and that's definitely something I would have tried to do, especially with something like the Wainwrights. I remember th- thinking to myself in the months leading up to it, I tried to convince myself that it was going to take, like, 14 days to complete it. So if it was going to take 14 days to complete it, then I was starting on day seven or eight. And so I tried to convince myself that this was me, like on day one, that was me having done eight days. And and then I was trying to say, look how good you feel after doing eight days. So it's a breeze now to do the last seven. You're over halfway, you know, and that's the way I was trying to frame it. And even though that's total rubbish, you know, it, I didn't actually believe that was the truth. It, it somehow managed to kind of... Um, change the way I framed the whole thing, you know, and uh, because, you, like, there's loads of challenges that people have done that have lasted a lot longer than, than that, you know, like running across America or Tony Mangan running around the world or, or whatever the challenge might be, you know that people have done longer stuff, so why not just pretend you're in the middle of something much longer? And obviously, if I'm starting on day one, I feel fresh, and if I pretend that's day eight, then I'll say to myself, "Geez, I uh, like if I feel this good after eight days, I'm gonna I'm gonna breeze this." You know what I mean? And and for in a in a strange way, that actually helps to um, I don't know, just give you a much more positive uh, frame of mind when when you're feeling rubbish. It, you know? it is all about chemicals, though. Your your brain's releasing certain chemicals that's either allowing you to go or to hold you back. Um, the first time I experienced that was actually in doing the Dublin half marathon and I'd done the marathon three or four years and I was running a PB in the half marathon and at mile 11, yeah. I just wanted to collapse and it was, it happened. Yeah. It was a rock and roll. I think it was. And, um, it was on the old marathon course on the marathon course. And I, I said to myself, right, I'm at mile 11 of 26 miles and my body just relaxed. And then I was able to run yeah, the last yeah. two miles. And I was like, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, you know, I've only got two more I've got I've got 15 miles left to go and then I got back in a steady pace again but it was only two miles yeah, left yeah. to go like so it's very similar to what you're saying yeah I think um you kind of have to be good at uh doing that type of thing at times if you um because you can either, you can sort of surrender to your mind sometimes can't you like um like like uh you know I've had a number of bad races where I've pulled out halfway around or whatever and that's purely poor management of your own thoughts and and how you're perceiving the whole thing at the time um and sometimes maybe the ra- you don't give a crap about how you get on in the race you've just you've just decided that's it i, I don't want to do this today <laughs> i've had enough you know um and that's fine if if that that happens but you know usually if if it's that you really want to get round so like if you've entered utmb for five years on the trot and never gotten in or, or whatever race and suddenly you're in this race and you've trained all year for it then it probably means a lot to you to 
to finish it, you know. So in that instance, you you're probably best served to have done some preparation in the lead up in terms of your mental, um, mm. sorry, mental preparation in the lead up so that when it actually happens that you feel rubbish and want to quit, you'll you'll have rehearsed it already in your head what you're going to do to get out of that kind of bad place, if you know what I mean. And that, and that really works. And like... Experience is a big thing, like, isn't it, from that? Yeah. Yeah, you need... Yeah, certainly. Um, I, I actually think, like, when I first started doing stuff like that, it was because you were a bit naive about the whole thing and finishing it was the ultimate goal. You know, you wanted to get around something like that. So it was almost easier to pull yourself out of a, a bad place. And then once you got a bit kind of um, longer in the tooth, if you like, uh, and a bit more experienced, it was, it actually became harder to, to pull yourself around because you knew exactly how bloody horrible it was going to be for the next uh, 30 <laughs> miles or whatever. And, and so the experience actually didn't serve you. And then in the last few years, I've kind of worked a lot harder on rehearsing what's going to happen in my mind or how I'm going to feel. And I've, I, I've tried not to think about feeling good because, I mean, that's a bonus. If you feel good, that's, you know, you don't need to rehearse that. It's not reality. Whereas, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where, yeah. And feeling bad was an absolute given. So you might as well try and visualize what that feels like and then how you're going to deal with it as well. And if you can do that, you don't have to spend too much time doing it. But if, if you do a little bit of that, I think it really, really helps when the, the shit actually hits the fan in a, in a race, you know. There's two things sort of come to mind there that I'm trying to learn. Um, one is acceptance and the other one is patience. You know, when I'm doing these yeah. longer races, like when you're used to like road running and things like that. And if you're doing a race around 100K, for example, um, yeah. it's accepting how you're feeling right now and just doing what you can in that even if you're t even if you're two hours behind now well you're two yeah. hours behind there's nothing you can do about that just accept yeah how you're feeling adapt to that and what i found is if, if the more accepting they come the more it actually lets go and i can get back into it like but pa patience yeah. is yeah. another one though <laughs> you know because you're like <laughs> you just have to keep moving forward it, you know, it might be 30 miles ahead yeah. and you're feeling shit right now um if your mind goes there I suppose the third one, just to finish that, is presence. You know, staying in that actual yeah. moment, accepting that, and being patient, and just keep one foot going in front of the other. And you'll go, you'll you'll go up yeah. and down all the way through that course. Absolutely, yeah. I think um, when you're just saying patience there, I think that's a. I've I've definitely done races where I haven't been patient. You're you're thinking after twenty miles what it's going to be like at ninety miles and being nearly finished, and it's like you're almost wishing the race away, and you get you get pissed off that you're so far from that point and your head starts to go. Whereas, yeah, trying to, again, it's, it's cliched, but trying to, to stay a bit more in that, uh, present time is, um, because that's when, that's when the mistakes are going to be made, yeah. right. You know, in that time, if you're, if you're focused on the finish, um, you're not doing all the things you're meant to be doing, which is eating and drinking and and um, breaking the distance down and pacing yourself and you know being being aware of how your body is feeling and and adjusting based on that. Like if all you're thinking about is is the finish, then you're not doing your all the little jobs you need to tick off along the way. You know. So um, uh, when I was sorry to keep on going back to marathon running, <laughs> when I was marathon <laughs> running, I, I had done Dublin like nine years in a row, and I got. One trick I had was that when I hit the five mile mark, I assessed everything that I was meant to have done. You know, was I feeling properly? Had I taken on enough hydration? Was I still sticking to my pace? Because I always went, went out too fast. 
and things like that or I was talking to people and you know I would assess well actually hold it back a little bit or get a bit of fuel in and that's carried over into my longer distance sort of ultra running then you know if you can yeah. sort of have those I have everybody's different obviously like but I have those trigger points where I have an assessment make just to make sure that you're sticking to plan Cause especially on the longer races like yeah. you can lose especially if you're running with somebody and you're, you're talking away to somebody and you actually forget to eat 15 yeah. miles down the road you're going to feel a lot of pain and you know why Absolutely, a lot of the yeah. times <laughs> yeah 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 what, what about um, body maintenance going through that then? Because that must have been, we've talked about the physical aspect, the mental aspect, but keeping your body in check. You talked about your knees and swelling up there. You, there's some class photographs, you coming over <laughs> the top of some of the mountains, your knees are strapped up like I don't know what. Like, But maintenance must be a huge thing when you're taking on a challenge like that. Yeah, and, and I had a lot of help uh, with that. I, I do some work now out of um, body rehab in Stavely, so it's we live in Windermere at the moment and Stavely's another two or three miles uh, towards the M6 here in the lakes and uh, I do some work out of there and Graham Theobald who who, who owns that place he um, he came out himself and, and helped but he also had another one of his therapists on hand to come out on one of the days and just basically turn up wherever she needed to be and so he you know that was really good of him to do that and then I had Adam Smith who's another massage therapist turned up on the top of hard not pass uh on one of the evenings um astrid gibbs who runs with our club she i think she gave me massage kind of three days in or something something like that in one of the stops i had uh phil davis come out at one point i think he was running as well and jim davis his brother they're both brilliant brilliant uh, Borrowdale fell runners they both came out at different occasions to they both um work as massage therapists as well so you know i had a really good um but support crew to is, help me with the it. team is cr- is crucial though isn't it your support crew yeah you've got out on and doing any of those rounds really i suppose it makes a huge difference yeah and i, and I sort of knew that was going to be the the case that if i didn't keep on top of stuff like that then there was the chance you know i, I would things would things would build and build and then get too bad to kind of keep mm. uh moving on so feet are i don't huge, even psychologically though. Like feet are huge. Oh, feet, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. stopping the blisters, stopping the swelling, all those sort of things. Like, yeah. and, like there's a lot of water, and like the ground was quite yeah. wet as well, <laughs> wasn't it? Okay. Um. Well, it was probably normal enough for summer in the lakes. It's, there's always wet ground in, in the yeah. lake, unless you get a really, really, really hot summer. I think yeah, the that year. Was a stupid um, well, no, no, no. The the year um, Killian Joyner did his BG. That that was actually really really dry um there was parts of the the route boggier sections of the route that weren't boggy you know he did have really nice conditions although it was a bit hot in fairness but the ground was good and and firm so it does dry up occasionally on a really really warm summer but i think there was definitely a fair bit of bog still around in um because it wrecks the legs doesn't it like it really tires the legs out yeah and and I mean, I suppose in another way, it might be nice to have softer ground at times when your legs are sore. But yeah, I suppose too much of it then is um, it gets pretty wearing on the on the body. But it was typical Lake District kind of conditions. Mm, not really. not to want to take you back there, but can you remember your darkest moment? I don't know why us, uh, us human beings love to hear stuff like that. <laughs> He's like the the second half. Yeah, I d- um. There was I any time a, you really like, wanted to pull out. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think there was because I had kind of decided, you know, I, I I'd done the mental 
preparation yeah. rehearsal in my head that it was going to be exactly yeah. like that and and i suppose that by by getting enough people involved and yeah mobilizing enough people to kind of come and help there was i'd put pressure on myself so that I'd, i wouldn't want to kind of you know quit i'd sort of said to myself right for the next seven or eight days or however long it takes uh you're going to be miserable and you might as well accept it and uh the worst that can happen is you'll get injured and you'll have to stop you know and and, mm. and so be it if that happens like you know no one wants to be out of running or, or get injured but i i kind of said to myself beforehand if i can't run for a year after this it'll be worth it if i if i do it mm. i'll just go cycling or something it'll be grand and now if that had actually happened in reality i might have been absolutely miserable but i i had decided in my head that was the way it was going to be so i think there was never a moment where I wanted to, I was definitely going to, you know, jack it in or anything like that. But there was loads of times where I would have liked to have not been where I was, you know, and, and home in bed, having eaten a nice meal and being warm and dry. But, you know, how much, I think how that, much that's sleep, what I meant. How much sleep were you getting? Uh, like, I was lying down roughly two hours every 24 hours, two or three sometimes. And I was trying to have short little naps as well every so often on the side of the hill or, or whatever, uh, if the weather was all right. But like, I I probably could maybe trim some of that time down possibly because uh, like, I think if you stop for, if you try and sleep for two hours and something like that, there's probably not much in it in sleeping for 70 minutes or, or 80 minutes or 90 minutes instead and, and cutting a half an hour off it. I don't think you feel much better. If you sleep for 10, 10 minutes, sometimes it can make you feel like a brand new man. You know what I mean? So I think experimenting a bit with with the amount of sleep is probably a way of, of cutting a fair bit of time um, off it. But then you're, you're always riding the fine line. Yeah, like if if you get that wrong, then obviously it's it's not going to be great. But um, like were you this, co- were you cognitive yeah. all the way through it? Like you didn't hallucinate or anything like that? No, um, like I, I definitely had some hallucinations in Tour de Jans a couple of times. I've done it, not not any nothing major, but just seeing things that weren't there and um, seeing rock faces and thinking there were houses and stuff like that. Uh, but in this, um, because I had company all the time, there was always someone with me. Your mind is sort of occupied, you know what I mean? I suppose your feet as well, like, and, and looking where you're going and things like that. Yeah, there, there was always, I don't know, there was always something to kind of keep that thing yeah. at bay, like, yeah. Um, how did it feel then coming through? Because I'd seen, like, Steve's, we'd all seen Steve's video coming back to the finish line and running through the town of Keswick. And all the crowds are out, like, and everybody's cheering. Like, that's almost your visualization there. You know, just watching Steve's video, knowing what that would be like. Um, yeah. And then actually, it's great when you have these seeds in your head that are sort of, they're there and they're always sort of there for a while. And then, you know, you start building towards that and then it's actually happening. And that moment of going up the stairs is just about to happen. You know, talk to me about that experience. What was that like? Uh, yeah, it was a bit um, a, a bit uh, out of the blue, I suppose. I didn't expect that there'd be so many people around. Now, there was the Keswick Market was on the same day, so that's why the, that's why it was so busy. It wasn't because of me, but it still took me by surprise, you know, because it was so packed around the area, and and it was lovely. Like it was obviously brilliant to to have that support and just like this wave of kind of relief uh, at the finish that you didn't have to. It, you know, I could. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have to run again if I didn't want to. You know, ever, 
and and that's how you feel usually after something like that for the first few hours or days and then obviously you're you're keen to you know run again but it's a purge like isn't it it's just one big like you've been hanging on to that for the last like 48 hours maybe just really by your fingernails and and your mind is you know you're just you're you're so focused in what you're trying to do and then you get there and it just lets go like isn't it like if somebody said you're right let's go on five more miles here now (laughs) you'll have a cool day yeah like oh yeah geez i'd have um i'd have said no in in more colorful language than that but (laughs) i just i think it was as well like okay there was a week of actually being out there doing it but also the previous six months of putting effort into preparing and, and having all these other people put effort in as well it was a bit of a relief more than anything else that it had actually worked out and, and things had gone the way I wanted them to go. And there was sort of, yeah, relief that I hadn't let anyone down who had who had helped as well. So at the time, that was the overriding sense was just, geez, thank, thank Christ it's done. <laughs> I don't have yeah. to do it again. I'm, I'm breaking yeah. Steve's record as well. A little bit of bittersweet, I'm sure, like, but Steve being such a advocate for that type of, um, adve- I don't know what to call it to be honest, but <laughs> crazy. I'm gonna say <laughs> I was gonna say adventure, like, but um, and the, like six hours was it six hours? Sorry, six days, oh, yeah. six hours and fifty eight minutes was it? Just just below. I know that was Steve's. Uh, six six hour six days six hours five minutes or something like that. Okay, and yeah. um, but that must have been like pretty special because it made all of that effort a little bit more worthwhile. Uh, yeah, like I suppose I, I, you know, yeah, you do have one eye on, um, like I was, try- I was, I was trying to to go quicker than Steve had gone, but equally I was kind of thinking, well, if I don't, I still want to get to the finish and and get something out of it for myself. You know, I wanted to feel like I'd hadn't jacked it in or or failed. You know, so just finishing it was going to be enough for me. But but yeah, all things going well, I wanted to try and and um, do a better time, but. Yeah, there is this sort of sense of well, I did a I did a quicker time, but you know I had a massive amount of help from Steve, both directly and indirectly, and and I owe him uh, a great debt of gratitude for helping me around it. So yeah, I like I don't know I don't know what way to put it because it seems a bit it's it's that that's why that's why people do this thing, you know, Steve Steve beat joss's time and that's what he wanted to do and it is what it is you know someone's going to come along and beat this time as well you know probably i think, sooner I think the way later, i think know, the so. way to put it is records are there to be broken it's as simple as that yeah um, yeah it's like killing, and, killing and as long as you over, like killing come over knocked an hour off i think that record was like 36 38 years old or something yeah yeah so as long as long as you um i think as long as you respect the the whole ethos of it and and you you play by the rules and you do things fairly, then you don't have you don't have to feel bad about about doing it. But like at the same time, Steve had put so much effort into it as well, and it was nice that he had that record. So there is still a sense of it would be nice if he still did have it. But equally, it's competition, isn't it? And it's it, that's what running is, and, yeah. and someone someone else is going to go along and do it. But quicker the again, names so. aren't going to disappear on the Wainwrights. It doesn't matter when you held the record or what time you got. You know, there's such a small amount of people that have completed the Wainwrights. And that's always going to yeah. be there in 50 years' time. You know, it's not going to be... There's not going to be 100 people have done that in five years' time. You know, it's such in a... Not, not, in, not in five years' time, maybe in... in <laughs> yeah. uh, I wouldn't be surprised if... Um, 
quite a few people do actually get rounded in the next five to ten years because I, I know it's never going to be like the, the BG because there's too much bloody yeah. organization and hassle and, and it's you know people can't spend a week in the hills a lot of people you know so there are a couple of people there like the likes of Damien Hall and John Kelly and people that are crazy like yourself like but they have that good depth of well I suppose depth is the right word they could finish something yeah, like that well yeah I think um, I think those guys are more talented than me you know they're they're, they're probably quicker runners than me but that's why I say like it's someone's gonna come along and break it because to me like I would like to think I keep my nose to the the ground and, and uh, know a bit about who's doing what in the sport and you know I can name 10 people who'd beat the time if if they go and do it you know what I mean it's just about whether they go and and do it. I could I could name more than t- I could name a hundred people. You know what I mean? Like there's loads of people who could who yeah. could go and have a crack at it. But it's it's whether they actually do or want to or uh, invest a, the time. It's in such a huge challenge, like isn't it? And, and that's it. It's whether or not because it's you're talking twelve months. I was actually talking to somebody. Um, I think it was actually on one of the podcasts, and they they had mentioned you, and they said like, how long did it take to do the Wainwrights? And Paul's response was, you know, all my life. You know, really, it's a progressional thing of, you know, all the your Dublin marathons or your Wicklow Way 50Ks and then the lake. It's that progression all the way to where you are that really... Yeah. I didn't say... I I definitely never said anything as profound as, as <laughs> not that. Deep as that. <laughs> no, no. I, uh, I might have said something like, um, like the training you do 10 years ago is, is obviously going to have some influence because i suppose you can't you can't go from doing 20 miles a week running to 100 miles a week without doing the mm. bit in between you know what i mean so your your training over the course of the years does obviously play into it but um yeah i i wouldn't be as profound as uh, i've got a lot of that like to do in the last 15 minutes like the shit <laughs> i've been talking um talking about just that last just to finish up then and i appreciate your time i know i've I've kept you no for a while, like, um, but you you are actually yourself and Sarah um, have s- do actually a lot of coaching. Is yeah, it, is so, it missing uh, link? Missing link coaching. Yeah, we we um, I think when we first kind of started working full time at at this type of thing, that name was I I was trying to my my kind of idea about things at the time was that there was too much um, emphasis on. In, in the fitness industry, emphasis on how you looked or how you, you know, high intensity training and, and sort of gym based, sort of redundant type. There's a lot exercise. of bullshit. I don't know. Bullshit is the word you're looking well, for. <laughs> There's a lot of bullshit. Yeah, well, yeah. Like. Yeah. And, and, and um, I really liked the idea of maybe getting people having a bit of fun while they were exercising. And that, that was sort of where Missing Link came from. We, we were. <laughs> I was trying to say that it's like, you know, the the missing link in getting fit or healthy is moving well and, and putting an emphasis on how you're moving rather than uh, calories burned or bloody some yeah gym based class or exercise or whatever. And and that's sort of where the name was kind of kind of came from. But then things went more towards the online coaching and that's where the demand was and that's sort of where it went. So uh that's why that name came about and 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 that's sort of the bulk of what we do now is is the online working with people online but then uh i do movement analysis or or injury rehab and and sports massage and and stuff like that as well so there's 
it's between the two of those areas that um, because between yourself and Sarah, there's a good there's good depth, isn't there? Like you know, the Sarah is like running a fifteen is it fifteen minutes and like a thirty three minute ten k, so you've got that pace and that speed. Not to mention all the other accolades that she has. And then you cover the whole scope. <laughs> you take that as far as the Wainwrights or the Tour de Jaunts and things like that. And you have, um, obviously, you've done a lot of work on biomechanics and technique. Like, technique is so important in the mountains. Like, when you look at, like, says yeah. Kelly and Sean A coming downhill, like, he's, yeah. a, he's almost recovering coming downhill. You know, his technique is <laughs> that good. Yeah. Yeah, and, and um, like that's a really, 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 really interesting area, and um, I don't think it's very well understood uh, even now, you know. And I think uh, like a lot of it, I, I, I've probably changed the way I think about that whole side of things over the course of the last few years. And I think we need to put more emphasis on almost like allowing the the body to pick the right way of doing something rather than trying to force a certain technique, if you want to call it that, uh, on someone. Like, the, you know, a lot of, if you if you look at a runner who's been running for 20 years, so someone who's, you know, gone from cross country at school into running with the local club, into running track and cross country and road, that person is going to look very different when they run than someone who has taken up running in their 30s after playing Gaelic football for 15 years. And it's not because they both, uh, sorry, it's not because the, the person who was involved in running all their lives was getting trained by someone who was teaching them running technique. It's because they've honed the way they move. Their body has worked out the best possible way to to move for their set of, for their story, if you like. So if they've injured their right ankle 10 years ago or or their um, their left shoulder three years ago, they dislocated their shoulder or whatever, it all feeds into how they move at that time and i think you can clean up the way people run very easily sometimes with a couple of easy cues uh, and you can you can sort of tidy things and make them feel better um but sometimes you know if if someone's foot won't pronate because they broke their ankle or their nervous system has organized their body to kind of restrict movement there because there's too much movement somewhere else how you can't uncue that or sorry you can't cue that out of someone while they're running you know what i mean so it's it's a much more complex area i think than we uh, like to believe and i think yeah there's it's not black and <laughs> there's white, no like... one it's not black and white no there's no one recipe this is how you should run you should run with uh, this posture and you should run with um this cadence and it's it's all dependent on the context of the situation so the surface you're running on the speed you're running at the your your previous injury history your um your weight you know what i mean like the, you can't if you're going to try and coach everyone to run like an Olympic 10k track runner, even though they're, and, and this is no disrespect to anyone, but if if they're a few pounds overweight and they've only just got into running, so they're not very elastic yeah. uh, anyway, so they're not going to look like that, you know what I mean? So you need to maybe, it, they, they probably need to work a lot of it out themselves by actually doing some running miles and their, their nervous system will organise itself uh, as best it can for their set of, constraints if you like or previous injuries or, or um, the way they're set up at that point in time and then you can start to explore whether giving them a little bit of more movement in their foot or giving them some sort of a cue that lets the body work it out for itself do you know what I mean so you're not you're not consciously cueing them to stand more upright because if you if you consciously cue someone to 
stand or to 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 orientate themselves in a more upright fashion, then they're probably tensing something that wouldn't naturally be tense to to put them there. You know what I mean? You have to almost give them like an external cue where they're not actually thinking about being upright. They're just reacting that way because of what you've you because of the constraint you've put in uh, in their movement. So trying to better bring a bit of awareness into their mind of what's going ex- on. Exactly, hundred percent. Yeah, and and. Uh, it it is a really interesting area, but like I don't know. I think I do a lot of reading on that type of on that on that subject, and 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 trying to improve the way I uh, work with people and and think about the whole thing. But it you know it's like a bloody rabbit hole the size of <laughs> the bloody sun. You know what I mean? It's like you can just keep going and going and going and realize how little you know about the subject. And and sometimes you have to you have to kind of think right. I don't, it doesn't need to be perfect. I don't need to know absolutely every single thing because if I wait till then, I'll never do anything. I'll be paralyzed by by um, by fear almost of doing the wrong thing. So it must be key for a coach knowing, knowing the athlete and getting to know the athlete and having some sort of relationship between the two people. Yeah, um, like I think that the people I communicate more with, I have a, a better understanding obviously of of that person you know what i mean if it because some people are very very busy they don't have time maybe to to communicate they they want you to tell them what training to do and they don't really want to engage depends very on much your goals, with you or they don't it? have time it depends on your Absolutely, goals as yeah, well. yeah. everybody's goals are totally different and like some yeah. people live a busy lives and they just want to have a bit of accountability you know it's like give yeah. me a plan yeah. i'm not going to do this unless somebody gives me some sort of structure but that's all i want actually just give me that structure yeah. over uh, whereas other people are maybe past that a little bit and what are, are more interested in their technique and things like that and um, yeah. there's more flow and conversation and even with nutrition nutri- nutrition's a huge thing like um and that's that's the it's not an easy job coaching <laughs> because it's such no, a no, wide I, variety and people's lifestyles are so different and their goals are so ob- yeah and i think i think a lot of time like programming someone's training to do a particular race might be like it's it's not rocket science really is it you need to prog- progress them in the right direction taking into account the the um uh, characteristics of the of the event they're doing and their previous um experience and 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 things like that so that's sort of relatively straightforward but it's all the curveballs you're that are being thrown yeah. in by stuff like covid-19 or injuries or personal problems in their lives that that are mm you know maybe impacting on how they're training and they're all the things i suppose that having having someone to bounce stuff off and and just tell you know having someone that you can just tell or talk to about these things it can kind of take the pressure off that person and 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 help them as well and that's not seen you know that that's not what you think of when you think about coaching uh but actually that's a big part of it i've had a coach in the past as well and i used to just love the fact i didn't have to think about it you know, I was yeah. happy to get my monthly plan because my life was too busy as it was. And I just got yeah. that and it worked for me, you know, just open up that box and see what was inside this month and then just follow yeah. that plan. Um, and consistency is a key thing, isn't it? Like that's like, if you get consistency and you get that flowing, you'll, you'll, yeah, s- you'll see the absolutely. rewards from that. Yeah. And I think um, I think may- maybe sometimes people are, are disappointed to realize that that kind of consistency or, or uh, you know, there's no magic kind of session or formula that you need to, to um, that there's no magic formula or magic session that's going to beat being consistent and, and 
um, doing the basics very well. And you, you mentioned like you, you had a coach and you didn't need to think about what uh, you were doing. And I think George Foster, who broke the Bob Graham, uh, sorry, who, who who did the second fastest Bob Graham ever last October, he he says the same about his, um, that's one of the nicest things about it, that Martin Cox is coaching him and, and, because Martin's experience and and um, you know I th- I think George I I don't know what their yeah. relationship is like but I think George would gel very well with someone like Martin and and I think um, you know that's where trust comes into it like he he knows Martin knows what he's doing so he doesn't have to kind of worry or sweat the detail about yeah. um, these things he can as long as he's communicating with Martin he can be pretty sure he's he's doing the right thing you know and that that must be a big weight off. Or that is a big weight off people's mind to know that they're doing the right stuff, you know. So, so what what yeah. type of plans do you do then? You do you do have athletes that are doing marathon plans and sort of you, you do the PC road stuff and you do the because yeah. it's such a good depth between the two years. Um, how can people get in contact <laughs> with you? You're smiling there. Why, why were you smiling when I said that? Like you're like, <laughs> I just you're saying the word pacey and uh, <laughs> me in the same sentence, but. Um, no, the, yeah, Sarah obviously has a lot of experience. You know, she she was she went to uni at Michigan State where she ran on their, their cross country and track team and obviously he's run cross country for Ireland and run mountain run at the World Mountain and European Mountain Ring Champs for Ireland for a number of years and has done a lot of European races now. And and then I suppose I've done some longer races and, and between the two of us we have a relatively decent understanding of the various different events bet- between the two of us yeah. yeah so it's nice to have like she she is more science orientated than me so she she that was her you know she's a phd in in biogeochemistry and and understands science really well so she can break it down nice and easy for someone like me who uh, <laughs> all he wanted to do was play sport in school and didn't bloody listen when he should have and <clears throat> um so I've learned a lot from from Sarah, and uh, maybe um, maybe I'd say then that I like working with with people, and I think I communicate well with people, and I probably learned those skills from being in this type of industry for for years. You know, I did the whole fitness instruction, personal training thing, and was in the guards, like I said. So that was always dealing with people in weird situations, and I really like yeah dealing with 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 people, and and um, I suppose that's so those skills kind of marry and Sarah helps me with stuff and I help her with stuff and, and uh, it, it kind of works pretty well. So so how, how if somebody was looking for a coach, how would they get in touch with you? Uh, just on, on our um, website, there's an email address on the website, Missing Link Coaching. So it's I think it's inquiries at missinglinkcoaching.co.uk. Um, I'll, I'll yeah, put a link in the show notes and if anybody's looking, that would be great. Well, I apologise now. I'm 40 minutes. I'm looking at in the top corner, um, but I do talk some shit, like so. <laughs> no, it was great. No, it was good fun. I really enjoyed it, like. So. Great episode with Paul. He's got a wealth of knowledge, but more importantly, he's one of those stubborn runners that has what it takes to keep moving no matter what the given situation. He's very humble. Gives a lot of accreditation to Steve Birkinshaw for his Wainwrights FKT. So who better to follow this podcast with only the man himself, Steve Birkinshaw. I will have Steve's episode out by next Friday. So until then, stay safe and keep on moving.